Your story awaits. The show is over. Not much is obvious. The banjo-hungry crowd, who wouldn't stop coercing you into more and more earlier, now seems satiated with the amount of music provided, as though filled up on an exquisite but heavy dinner. You can tell they hardly have room for dessert, actually. In fact, some of them have already started dozing off on the spot, whether they be standing or sitting. You don't know whether to take that as a compliment. But Samantha doesn't give you any more time to think about that. Acting as an officer of the intuition police, she senses whenever you are on the brink of a breakthrough and seizes you by the hand, literally or figuratively, to bring your attention to the here and now. The present. And presents you, she does, with her left hand, which you have learned to obey without question by now, prompting you to place the banjo on the floor, its headstock leaning against the wall by the corner of the stage. Not ideal, but it will have to do for the time being. Although you hadn't even known you had that in you, you already feel a yearning to touch it again and get lost in its torrential tales of infinite bliss, forsaking time and space, transported into another dimension. Yet, you know you have absolutely no say in the matter. Who does in this place, for that matter? All around you, all the patrons of the cantina are in a semi-comatose state now, as if they have served their purpose for the night and are now excused to retreat to the deepest level of the pit of their subconscious, to give you and the dinner vulture some privacy. One of those intrusive thoughts again, the kind that seems to pop up in your head as if channeled by someone or something else. Oh yes, you do need some privacy now, for you are summoned to the vulture's table. Samantha escorts you there, and that feeling of being protected fills you up with a profound warmth, conveyed through the subtle but adequate friction that transpires between your clasped palms as you trudge to the table where you're expected. You sense that warmth engulf you and bestow confidence upon you, but there's also an aspect of it that makes you feel uncomfortable. For some reason, it makes you think of the womb. A mother's womb. And protective though it is, you have always associated it with confinement. And right now, you feel both spurred on and oppressed simultaneously. As always, you won't be allowed the luxury of dwelling on that thought for too long. The table has been reached... The only empty chair around it has been dragged back and you have been motioned to sit. There is an equally empty shot glass on your side of the table and you turn to Samantha intending to order something to fortify yourself and calm your nerves even further. You don't have to utter a single word. She knows and she starts for the bar immediately. The bar, inhabited by the bartender, The one with those red eyes. The red eyes that have always followed you since birth. Sometimes on a little innocent-looking hare that chases you in your dreams. Sometimes on very dangerous men that hunt you in your waking life. What was that? You hear glass break and the dark train of thought you had been journeying on has just gotten off the rails and crashed on a very thick assembly of trees. The cloud of your daydream deflated like the last balloon in the aftermath of a birthday party. The man on the opposite side of the table lifts his freshly blooded punch from the shattered remains of his beer glass, mangled and wet with varying hues and shades of red and burgundy, and looks at you. Have I got your attention now?
Welcome to the Midnight Banjo Show, a program where we explore the captivating world of country music, its musical ingredients, and the story they tell. All the while, narrating the life and times of, well, you, of course. You know how our culture usually favors the starry-eyed, the optimists, and the go-getters? How we are always encouraged to think about how everything and anything is possible, if we really want it to happen, that is, if we really strive for it. Well, in that vein, why don't we make a quick list of things we can do if we work hard in that direction? Roll up your sleeves, everybody! Alright, get a pen and paper, and let's go! Can we get high grades on our papers, whether it be at school or uni? To quote former President Barack Obama, Yes, we can! Can we become a better sibling, friend, spouse or parent? Yes, we can! Can we learn a foreign language in less than a year if we study from sunup to sundown, day in and day out? We absolutely can! Can we listen to a whole episode of The Midnight Banjo Show without falling asleep? Hell yeah! At least, I hope so. But chief among these deeds, by far the most challenging one of all, is something which only hard work and toil can help us attain. It might sound like a pipe dream, but country star Brantley Gilbert tells us it's possible. Know what that is? What you can do if you grind along like a canine. Many things, actually. You can gator up your boots, get a bigger vehicle and put some camouflage on that Benelli, whether it be the shotgun or the motorcycle. But most importantly, working your ass off can help you do something nothing and no one else can. Put a Rolex on a redneck. Hello everybody, and welcome to the show's fourth episode. It is with great pride that we've made it this far, which is, well, less than halfway through the season, but still, it's quite a celebratory moment not least because of the topic that we will cover today, which is country pop. Well, on a personal level, I really enjoy many country artists that might fall within that category, so it was a very interesting topic for me to research. But, as always, I promise, this is only going to be a light historic dive. I know that many of you are listening to this just after work, and the last thing on your mind, the last thing you want to do right after a long, hard day there, is to have to work a little more. So, as always, the documentary part of it won't be that heavy, as is, of course, our modus operandi. But before we go any further, don't we issue our first ever trigger warning? Well, as you must have come to expect, this episode tries to keep the political side of things, and anything that might pertain to political incorrectness to a bare minimum used on an as-needed basis only. But in this episode, as you saw in the title, we're going to talk about the redneck. So, if this is a term that you have associated with extremely negative connotations, or one that offends you somehow, well, this is your warning. Although, I gotta say that we'll explore the various meanings and aspects of this term with utmost respect. And by no means do we mean it in any insulting or offensive way. As you will see later in the episode, this characterization is actually worn as a badge of honor by many cultural groups. So, well, it's not always and doesn't have to be negative, and it's not going to be in this part of the series. Okay, that aside, what are we going to cover today? Well, as already discussed, today's subgenre is country pop, and we're going to talk about the music of Taylor Swift... John Pardy and Brantley Gilbert, three artists who, in my opinion, epitomize the three main currents of this subgenre. Okay, what are we waiting for then? Oh, and before we officially start, let me remind you that you can always follow that link in the show notes and like our Facebook page. And while you're at it, why don't you join our group so that you can take part in future polls and interact with us and leave your feedback, which is always welcome. All right. Episode 4, 
Rednecks and the Red Carpet. Action! Remember the thought experiments of the first couple of episodes? Well, guess what? They're back! Yay! Okay. But this time, what you have to picture, or rather, who you have to picture, is not an outlaw per se, at least not necessarily, but a redneck. Our American friends already have their own conceptions about this term, I'm sure. Whether they be pre- or misconceptions is a whole other matter. But what about those of you listening to this from Greece, Denmark, the UK, and other parts of the world where good folks tune in to our humble show? Thanks for your listenership, by the way. What is a redneck, then? Is it a farmer in the rural south of the United States who has gotten a permanent reddish tan on their neck? A badge of honor born of successive sunburns while working the land with honesty and modesty? Who may be a beard-harboring, American flag bandana-wearing, overly enthusiastic patriot, wherever they might hail from within the country, not mincing their words, and caring little, or not at all, for or about political correctness? What about the Bible-thumping bigot who equates the civil rights movement with those darn commies, denigrating them with a twang and drawl while he or she is at it? Are they a redneck? Or, on the opposite side of the spectrum, does the term bring to mind miners who go on long strikes, risking their physical and mental integrity to demand equal rights for all, irrespective of skin color? Are they rednecks? Lastly, what do you make of the cowboy hat-wearing, tobacco-chewing country boy with a little bit of gaiter on their boots and possibly a rollie on their wrist? Or a car that set him back way more than your house did you? Is this a fellow with a neck of the same colour? Could he or she ever walk on the red carpet? I know you've grown accustomed to me debunking most of the imagery I conjure up during these thought experiment sessions of ours, But today, I'm going to validate them all for a change. Indeed, the term redneck could be loosely applied to all the aforementioned scenarios, each according to the historical time and place. But more on that later. Taylor Swift. I know, some of you might already be cringing at the thought of her name being brought up on a country music show, or who knows, some of you might actually love her and her music to bits, in which case I apologize for this preface. Regardless of which side of the fence you stand on, or even if you're dead on it about her person, one cannot talk about country pop or pop country without mentioning Taylor. After all, This style of music encompasses at least three main tendencies. Pop, rock, and hip-hop. And many others, of course, which are not going to be mentioned in this episode, for the sake of brevity. Today, we'll focus on country-pop artists that fall within the first two categories and leave the hip-hop or rap part for a future episode. It's coming! Born in 1989 in West Reading, Pennsylvania, Swift grew up listening to various genres of music, but chief among her favorite artists was Canadian country pop singer-songwriter Shania Twain and the group formerly known as Dixie Chicks, now shortened to just The Chicks. However, the first song she ever learned how to strum on the guitar was not a country song. Rather, it was Kiss Me by alternative rock band 
Sixpence None the Richer. You can listen to it on today's Spotify playlist, included not owing to its genre, of course, but as a tribute to Taylor Swift's musical origins. Born to perform, Taylor, at age 11, sang the American National Anthem before basketball fans at a Philadelphia 76ers game. But far from this being the pinnacle of her career, you know that we love this word on this show, she soon started dreaming of striking it big in the country music industry, like many others before her. And just like many others before her, like Trace Atkins and Blake Shelton, of our previous episodes, to name but a few, Swift made her way to... Well, you have consolidated it by now. Where do all the roads lead, if you want to put on a cowboy or cowgirl hat and stand a chance of walking the red carpet? Well, Nashville, of course. And strike it big, she did. magazine The Boot has put Swift's 2006 self-titled debut on a list of 10 debut albums that changed the country music game. Christina Vinson, the author of the article in question, writes about the album remarking that at the time Swift filled a void in country music. She wrote and sang from the eyes of a female teenager. Never before in country music had an artist appealed to so many teens and tweens, and Swift was simply being herself. Although many of her fans that were introduced to her music from her album 1989 onward might not even know that she is even remotely associated with the music we all love and honour, the first few releases of hers, namely from her self-titled debut in 2006 to Red, copies of which started populating music store shelves half a dozen years later, were what we broadly define as country pop. But what does that even mean, I hear you ask? Is it even country? first mixed with mainstream pop ingredients on a large scale in the 50s in a strategic and subsequently successful attempt on the part of the masterminds of the industry in Nashville to produce hits that would not only enjoy the favor of country music fans, but which would also spill over to the pop charts. The end result would at times sound a bit like a standard contemporary hit with a rural kick to it, or the inverse a polished, smoothed out, almost dulled country song that is redolent of pop, either in its instrumentation or the vocal techniques used. This largely came to be known as the Nashville sound. The most observant of you might remember my reference to the Nashville sound in the previous episode, and if you do, you will also recall that I said we're not going to cover this topic on our show, at least not extensively, as it has already been done expertly by a different podcast. You can find a link to that in the show notes of the previous episode. Over the years leading up to our century, country was merged with pop and vice versa, giving birth to several movements and experiencing fluctuations in popularity until it established itself as one of the most popular genres in the US of A. Quite befitting for a style of music that has the word pop on its label, don't you think? 
From Glenn Campbell with his rhinestone cowboy, yes, even that was considered pop at the time, and the inimitable Dolly Parton with many hits that crossed over to the Billboard Hot 100, all the way to artists like Garth Brooks, whose association with country music goes beyond the pop aspect, of course. The pop variant of country fared quite well throughout the 20th century and laid the foundation that inspired its modern exemplars today. back to our redneck for a moment, shall we? As hinted at earlier, this is no simple thing, of course. For this term, originally a pejorative put-down, used to characterize poor whites from the South in the early 1800s, has evolved into a vast spectrum of connotations, ranging from negative, obviously, to positive, quite surprisingly. Reality shows, and not only on American television today, seem to perpetuate the stereotype of the southern redneck, a god-fearing, gun-toting, truck-driving, inbred bumpkin. This is what Kelly Marshall, professor at DePaul University, relates in her article titled Rednecks, a Brief History on JSTOR Daily. Contrary to popular belief, Marshall goes on to say many individuals that are labelled as such are not inbred, they have their own teeth, and they are not all bigots. In fact, many are wealthy and well-educated, and some of them even wear the tag redneck with pride. We highly recommend you read this article, where she takes you on a journey through the evolution of the term throughout history, from frontier-era America to chic and upscale rednecks, arriving at the postmodern redneck, the variant that is most pertinent to this episode. The type of redneck that is proud of his or her rustic heritage, but also cherishes the lush and extravagant life. The type of cowboy or cowgirl that she can hear vroom past your humble abode in a not-so-modest Chevy, and wear the whole attire that alludes to Western aesthetics, only much more expensive than it's called for, since its purpose is not to withstand the wear and tear of life on the hills, but rather to impress, to woo, and, at times, to flaunt. This is not the redneck that lives in a cabin by the swamp. It's the one that takes to the red carpet, like duck to water. here and want to support the show? At the time of recording this, no official Patreon page has been set up. But don't be faced by it! You can still do your bit by spreading the word on social media if your friends are into cowboys, cowgirls and country music, or by going out on the street and shouting, everybody tune to the Midnight Banjo Show! Thank you for your custom. According to an article in this genre on masterclass.com, country pop comprises elements of traditional country songs and mainstream pop music, bringing together artists from mainstream pop, hip-hop, rock and roll and traditional country music, the end result of which usually has a chart-topping potential. As discussed earlier, country pop can be further subdivided into at least three other subcategories, two of which we're going to explore in this episode. 
Taylor Swift's music is a good example of the pop-in-your-face variety, if she'll excuse me that term, if she's listening to this, which I doubt. On our Spotify playlist, you can access a couple of her tunes, together with others in that style, such as Kelsey Ballerini's The Other Girl and Overshare, as well as two bonus country dance hits that we are not going to spoil here. Now, onto the more rock side of country pop. Brantley Gilbert, who is honored more properly later on in this episode, as it is one of his hits that we are going to dissect today. Caesars, be patient, we're going to use you later. It's mostly known as a country and southern rock artist. One of my personal favorites of his work is his album Just As I Am, decidedly a record where rock is king. Having said that, the first single off of Just As I Am was bottoms up, a song that will likely, inadvertently, make you think of pop music as soon as you hear the first few melody notes on the vocal. Granted, the backing band supply it with a dynamic rock presence, and the chorus is more characteristic of country rock than of pop. But the way it's interpreted vocally, with clean and almost flat vocals, that is, would behoove a mainstream pop hit especially with a different rhythm section in the back. Another artist who fuses rock and pop into his brand of country is John Pardy, who has risen to prominence in recent years with many radio-friendly hits and more than a couple of hugely successful albums, not least of all California Sunrise, which debuted at number one of the Top Country Albums chart and Heartache Medication, which debuted at number 11 on the Billboard 200. Although Pade is mostly associated with the neo-traditionalist subgenre, which we're not going to delve into today, he recently released Last Night Lonely, essentially a pop song in the guise of country. Again, if the term will be excused of me. Essentially a pickup song, its lyrics, if sung without... Pardee's instantly identifiable twang, Los Angeles Times characterization, could fit within many different styles of modern pop. And even the rock musical element in the background, principally delivered by means of electric guitars, which also play southern filler licks here and there, is of a decidedly softer nature than, say, the music of Trace Adkins. John Pardy, being another artist that this show admires, will be revisited much more thoroughly further down the line as part of a special mid-season series that is currently in the making. As always, I'm not going to divulge any more information about it for the time being. Loyal members of the audience know how much I love evoking anticipation and suspense within them. Now that you have a bit of a better idea as to what country pop is, it's time to prepare our tools for this episode's dissection. Nurse, can you please pass me our flesh-hungry scissors, will you? Cheers. Let's use some antiseptic, just in case, even though we, as a matter of principle, never dissect live specimens. Sound like thirsty work? Not much, right? Do you know what does? The type of work that Brantley Keith Gilbert mentions in his freshly minted collaboration with Jason Aldean, Rolex on a Redneck, which was released in March of 2022, slightly more than a couple of months ago, that is. Born in Jefferson, Georgia in 1985, the 37-year-old singer-songwriter and record producer is no stranger to hardship. He is the survivor of an almost fatal truck accident at the age of 19, which must have strengthened his faith. Add to that his tattoo, proudly endorsing the Second Amendment, and you have a typical country or southern rock badass who wouldn't think twice about fighting for God and country, and his music reflects that aesthetic, generally speaking. 
So we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He definitely doesn't belong to that other group of rednecks who got their names from protesting for better working conditions in the mines in the early 1900s and who had a signature red bandana tied around their necks. Hence the nomenclature. No, definitely not. Gilbert is more of a postmodern redneck, to go back to Kelly Marshall's article. The type of redneck that was born of the 1990s country music boom and its crossover stars like Tim McGraw and Sawyer Brown, whose videos featured wealthy rednecks doing, well, lots of non-rednecky things. Gilbert and Aldine's latest hit can hardly be characterized as pure country, or even country rock. Rather, it is almost irrefutably a pop hit. By now, you know the drill. Either pause this episode right here, listen to Rolex on a redneck, and then return for the commentary, or keep listening and save that for later. At any rate, it is the last song on our playlist for today, accessible on our favorite platform. Alright, let's dig right in. Bashed by SavingCountryMusic.com as a non-commissioned commercial passed off as a song, and Bashed is putting it lightly, this song has been, quite predictably, the victim of a lot of hate. Hearing the first eight bars, the intro to the whole thing, one can understand and respect the reservations some country music purists might have about the song being considered the next hit within the genre. Still, the sheer extent of criticism and denigration I found online while doing my research for the song is, in my opinion, not only uncalled for and outright malevolent, but also markedly unfair. But let's consider this song's stylistics a little more. The pompous, dubstep-like electronic drum beat that gives the song its oomph in tandem with the voluminous bass notes that explode out of your earphones and into your eardrums, give the song a trap-like feel, which, the way I see it, hoist it up in the air. It is the element that gives the tune thrust and grandeur. Gilbert's vocals are clean, as is his modus operandi for the most part, no noticeable twang or drawl here, giving it a pop feel that we have also heard in other hits, like the aforementioned Bottoms Up. Jason Aldean's diction is much more standard, country-like, than Gilbert's, but the pop aesthetic is still there. In other words, if it hadn't been for the grittiness of the southern guitar in the background that never ceases to accompany the listener in almost every part of the song, but most conspicuously, when playing the intro and outro theme, the song might very well be a mainstream pop hit. Lyrically, the way both artists seem to celebrate material prosperity, which, albeit hard-earned and well-deserved, is quite show-offy, to be honest, and flashy, not to mention, might make you think of the lyrics of the hip-hop and rap songs that populate today's charts. As a matter of fact, it is quite the soundtrack to be blared out of your speakers while driving fast with your windows rolled down. Disclaimer, I'm neither condoning reckless driving nor recommending it. But you get the idea. Although the instrumentation used is theoretically staple in country music, the way the song is arranged might make you think more of an R&B song. Now, is there anything wrong with all that? My answer, a resounding no. As a matter of fact, even better so. How dare I? I hear you protest. I know this might be a hot take among purist circles, but it is my strongly held conviction that if you want the genre you love to grow, you have to accept that its very definition might stretch a bit in order to be inclusive of new currents on the music sphere which also open it up to new audiences, of course, and bring in fresh ideas that can help keep it relevant forever and ever. Amen. 
This song can be used as bait to recruit many contemporary pop music fans over to our side, partners. See this as an opportunity and not as a threat. On a personal level, I might not exactly agree with the lyrical approach to the topic explored therein, but all things considered, the show has had Rolex on a redneck on repeat for a while now, and this ain't changing for a while. Love it or hate it, it is what it is. The latest country pop hit. And it's here to stay. This brings us to the next and penultimate segment of this episode. The Midnight Banjo Show proudly presents Learn to Write, where we'll give you bite-sized songwriting tips in three minutes or less. In today's Learn to Write, we're going to try to keep this short, something that we didn't quite manage to do in the previous part of this mini-series, within the series. Okay, so without further ado, what are we going to talk about today? Well, last time, the focus was heavier on the listen part of listen, cover, and mimic that we explained there. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the cover part, which is going to be developed over two episodes, this being the first one, and the one after that being the second and last one about this aspect of the three verbs. Okay, so, what do I mean by cover in more detail? Find the song you like, which was your assignment for today, Let me check your books. Does everything look good? Is everything completed? All right. So take that song then and try to interpret it as is. By interpret, I mean sing it. Literally as is. The lyrics, even the tone, try to fake it until you make it. It might not be possible for you to do that, of course. Which brings us to the second step. Find the right tone. If you're not already a musician and you don't know what that means, well, while singing the song, How does it feel on your vocal cords or on your throat? Do you feel any strain there? Is it hard for you to make your voice audible? If yes, it's probably not the right tone for you. If you think that you're screeching in order to be heard or in order to sing along with the singer, you probably need to dial it down a bit. Or if you think that your voice comes across as too weak and low, you might need to take things a few steps up. Now, you might not know what a tone, semitone, or a step or half step is. So, like we said in our previous episode, you can use applications or add-ons that change the pitch and the tone of the song for you, like Transpose. I personally use Transpose Pro, but this is not a sponsored suggestion, so you can find anything else that works for you. And you can play with the tone there. Now, once you find a tone that suits you, try to sing the lyrics as they are. So, again, don't change anything for the time being. Don't start covering the song yet. Before you cover a song, you should know the song very well and try to do it like the original artist before you take your own liberties. After you've done that a couple of times, you found the key and you've sung the lyrics as they are, then try to add a different feel to the song. If the original artist sounds heartbroken, for example, try to sing the song in a bit of a more passionate way, or maybe add in a little anger. The long and the short of it is that you have to try and attune to the original feel, and after you've interpreted the song that way, you have to do so based on a different emotion or sentiment. The last step for today concerns those of you who already play a melodic musical instrument, such as the guitar or the piano. So, for you guys, First, you need to learn the progression as it is, real well, and play it without hiccups, preferably along with a song or along to a drum beat or a metronome. Before you do that, of course, you have to decide on the key of your preference. Okay, that's a wrap for today's Learn to Write. That brings us to assignment time. For your next Learn to Write class, you only have one piece of homework. And that is to pick a song you like, find a key that is comfortable for you to sing it in, sing the song a couple of times or a few, and then, like we discussed within the segment, try to change the feel or 
emotion of the song. And for those of you who already play the guitar or banjo or mando or any other O or not, familiarize yourselves with the chord progression. And if you want, you can start changing the rhythm a little bit. More notes on that on the next Learn to Write. fantasy author Stephen King, and one of my personal favorite authors of all time, likes to finish many, if not all, of his books with an extension of gratitude to his constant reader. Let me do something similar here. I want to thank you, my constant listener or constant listeners, for sticking around and making it all the way to the end of yet another full feature episode of the show. We have almost made it to the middle of this season, and as hinted at in the episode, A mid-season mini-series is in the making right now and will be announced shortly. Now, before I give way to story time that many of you are expecting, let me remind you that if you don't want to miss another episode, you can subscribe to us and hit that bell icon on the application through which you're hearing this right now. And like mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like our Facebook page and join our group. We are awaiting. Okay. And now, story time. Don't forget to stay country. fractions of a second to realize that the man never used his vocal cords in order to speak. Pretty much like Samantha just a minute ago, he appears to be able to communicate with you via waves. Yes, that's the term he lends you for now. You can call them waves. Instead of talking, he can project the essence of what he wants to convey to you in a mixture of imagery emotion and vibration. A low vibration at that. Again, this is a sudden insight that wormed its way into your brain from somewhere. You turn to him and try to look him in the eye, but something makes you wince, as though someone had poured a few drops of lemon on the corners of your eyes. It's better that way. You have suddenly developed an irrational fear that everybody's eyes will turn red any minute now, so it's just as well. The man doesn't seem to take offense at that, nor does he seem to mind that his left hand is in such a mangled state, as though it had been mauled by a beast. He's sending you another wave now, letting you know that you certainly have his attention with what you played earlier. You bow your head slightly to the fore in gratitude of this indirect compliment and he grins in response. You don't need me to compliment you, he conveys. You know you have it in you. You've always had it in you. He goes on to say or think how liberated you must be feeling now that you have started embracing yourself. How renewed and excited you must feel at this new chapter that is being written in the book of your life, wide open before you, brimming with opportunity and potential. You don't know what to make of this, 
But you certainly don't like the way his son is looking at you. Or his daughter. For although his wife keeps on staring far off into the distance vacantly as before, his children have fixed their eyes upon you and are smirking craftily at your side. The man, ever intuitive, intercepts this wave of yours and fixes your problem instantly. He snaps his fingers and his children, if that's what they are to him, you're not sure, lose their irises all of a sudden. Indeed, their eyes are all white now and they look stunned, unable to see and, most importantly, meddle with their father's affairs. And yours. At this very moment, you hear another sound that startles you, but its source is much more benevolent this time. Your drink has arrived. There, all better now, the man affirms. He chuckles audibly and his belly jives to the rhythm of his laughter as he does. Without knowing why, you start to get a little nauseous. But this too shall pass, another wave intervenes. Look, he projects telepathically, I have an offer to make. He remarks how you can easily hold your own on the all-five-stringer, as he calls it. Would you be interested in a banjo made of gold? Even if you don't intend to stick to it, and grow sick and tired of it eventually, worst-case scenario, you can resell it to a more dedicated artist of the strings later. Think about it. All of a sudden, you just want all of this to end. The only reason why you were out trading the treacherous expanse of the canyon and its creeks long after the sun had set was to escape them. The red eyes. Not to find yourself in a weird saloon that seems to have been built in the middle of nowhere, full of zombie-like characters inside, puppets to the whims of the painted lady, Samantha, she corrects, never having left your side, really. You didn't leave the comfort of that cave you had found where you spent a couple of nights before setting out, all to end up in front of this strange fellow making even stranger propositions. Still, being under that spell again, the one that seems to permeate this enchanted establishment, you feel your curiosity kindled, and you take the bait. Ham game, you send his way. Do you just have it to give? He explodes in a hearty guffaw now, <laughs> beholding you as he would an imbecile. Not to give away, no. You have to earn it, he says, playing some sort of air guitar or banjo to illustrate what he is suggesting. He invites you to a duel. It just so happens that he's not half bad at it himself. He will use his banjo made of gold, and you will use yours. You can each play a tune of your choosing in front of an impartial audience. You really have your doubts about how impartial they are, but you let that slide. And let them decide who the winner is. If you win, the banjo made of gold will change owners. What if I lose, you think? What happens then? His guffaw subsides and he motions you to come closer and lend him your ear, ready to impart a little secret. If you lose, you only have to give him your soul. <laughs> now it's your turn to burst into a fit of laughter that you didn't know had been residing in your guts all the while. Of course, now it's all starting to make sense, you think. This is all a sham. This man, the painted lady, the bartender, the patrons. Everyone in this place must be out of their minds. It's either that, or you are the crazy one. You don't think so. You take a moment to compose yourself, and are lucky enough to observe that the dinner vulture hasn't taken any offense at your reaction. I accept, you declare, using your actual voice. All this telepathy mumbo-jumbo must have been all in your head anyway. Very well, the man declares, also using his voice this time. 
You're welcome to stay the night then. It's on the house. Drink as much as you want and eat to your heart's content. Have your fill and have some rest tonight. You're going to need it for what's coming tomorrow. With that thought, Samantha touches your right shoulder and beckons to you that it's time to go upstairs where your room is waiting for you. You stand up, curtsy to the man at the table, and start following Samantha to the foot of the staircase leading up to the second floor, not neglecting to stop at the bar for a last nightcap. Oh, the bartender's eyes are a boring shade of brown now. No red there, if it ever had been there in the first place. As you make your way upstairs now, there is a nagging thought that comes and goes, burrowing its way into your head and only leaving after much insistence. Try as you might, you can't help but face it. At the very moment you accepted the invitation to a duel with a strange fellow, the moment you picked up the gauntlet, so to speak, you felt a strange, oozing sensation at the center of your chest. Maybe oozing is not quite the right word. You felt as though something had been suctioned from you. You felt as though your soul had been put on hold. Yeah, right. As if that's possible. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Midnight Banjo Show, a podcast written, produced and hosted by yours truly, Panos K, a banjoist from Athens, Greece. This program is an homage to country music and your listenership is appreciated beyond words. After all, a podcast with an audience is a dialogue. One without is a monologue. Let's keep the dialogue going. Thank you.